0: Welcome to the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast, where we are leading conversations in innovation and the global entrepreneurial mindset. In this podcast series, we are exploring the topic of women in technology and innovation, where we shine a spotlight on the remarkable women entrepreneurs, business and technology leaders who are changing the world through industry and innovation. My name is Samantha Walravens, and I'm an adjunct professor at Lehigh University. As well as a journalist and an author with a passion for supporting and advancing women in their professional and personal lives for those who don't know the lehigh at nasdaq center is a collaboration between lehigh university and the nasdaq entrepreneurial center in san francisco our mission is to educate connect and inspire the next generation of global entrepreneurial leaders Uh, today we're going to be talking about women and the world of venture capital, in particular, the importance of investing in women-led companies and diverse founders. And I'm really honored to have with me today two accomplished women in the venture capital world. Susanna Shipton, the head of platform at AliCorp, a venture fund and incubator located in New York City that founds and invests in category defining companies. Some of their investments include MongoDB, Business Insider, guilt Group, Zola, and Nomad Health. Before joining AliCorp, Corp, Susanna was the director of business strategy and operations at Artsy, a global platform for collecting and discovering art. And Lisa Jones. Lisa is the co-head of impact investing at the Silicon Valley Social Venture Fund, where she helps identify and develop strategies to empower under-resourced communities. The Silicon Valley Social Venture Fund invests in nonprofits as well as for-profit social enterprises for the dual purpose of both social impact and financial return. So welcome to both of you, and thank you for being here today. I want to start by asking you about your You know, you as women are part of a very small group of women in venture capital, only 11% of venture capital investment partners are women. So can you tell me
1: how and why you chose this path? So I was on an operator track business strategy side and at a growing company like Artsy, I joined just after the series A. So really small, uh, you know, like 20 people. And over the courses of our next fundraises, B, C, D, and then E, and then a venture debt round, I ended up working so much with the investors and board that I sort of thought maybe I should try out uh, doing this full time. Um, but really getting to know the venture world was sort of a process of trial and error while being at a startup. Um, And as I was having external conversations with all of these investors, um, I just really liked the way that investors think. It's very intellectual exercise. It's very exploratory. um, It's very courageous. uh, And I really wanted to be part of that. Um, And so uh, I decided to make a move uh, and at that point just sort of had coffee with everyone I knew who worked in venture capital um, to, to learn more and eventually found a fund that was really a fit with my experience, and um, I focus on consumer. So uh, that, was, that was sort of my, my slot in there.
2: So I followed a very different path um, that I think you could say is quite convoluted. Um, I started out as an engineer a long time ago, um, came to Silicon Valley, Uh, And at that time I wanted to eventually move into venture capital and the advice I was given by several venture capitalists was to go to a company and uh, Get involved in marketing and that's what I did So I went to Silicon Graphics uh, very early and at that time it was a hot company Um, Much like Google and Facebook and the others today, although the companies the hot companies then didn't become the behemoths They could become now Uh, so I, I went there and stayed there for quite a while actually because it was a fun ride. Uh, Eventually I found that it was incompatible with my personal life and in particular my family. So I ended up uh, stepping out, stepped out at the right time because it was actually at the peak of their stock and um, spent time raising my family. Did a startup uh, junket in the middle of that period, um, one that was profitable but where none of us really had the right amount of time because startups are really all consuming and we were all doing other things. So stopped that and then later came back and joined Silicon Valley Social Venture Fund, which I'm gonna call SV2 from now on because that's that's what we know it as. And at at SV2, Um, we decided to start doing impact investing in addition to the grant making that we were doing for nonprofits. Um, So I was fortunate to come at the time that a group of people was interested in just getting started in impact investing. And so in that role, we're looking not just at financial return, but we're also looking at at social enterprises, for-profit social enterprises uh, that will deliver a social impact return as well.
0: And then, Lisa, how do you measure a social impact return? Can you do that in dollars, or is it just the effect on a community? How does that work?
2: It's it's actually quite difficult, and it's a it's a topic that a lot of people are talking about and trying to figure out how to do. Um, the the There is some talk about trying to put a dollar value on social impact, but there isn't a lot of progress there. For the most part, it's being measured on other factors, and it varies depending on the sector that a company is operating in and in particular what the outcomes are that they are supposed to be driving and measuring against those outcomes
0: so i'm part of a group called the pipeline angels which is a, a group of women who invest in uh women-led companies startups in a very early in a very early stage so these rounds are typically um f- they're, they're sometimes called friends and family round they're typically you know ten thousand dollars you know to a fifty Five hundred thousand dollars, but they're pretty small. After the angel round, there's what's called the seed round, which is between ten thousand and two million dollars. Comes after the angel round and before a Series A. Um, then we get into the venture funding, the Series A, B, C, and there's actually a D. In the Series A round is an early round between a million and thirty million dollars. Series A and B, and then Series C is ten million and above. And um, I think you have both been involved with companies that are Series D. Or maybe Suzanne, you've been involved with companies that have raised Series D, which is often in you know. Over $100 million. Yeah. Um, and then we have something called equity crowdfunding. You may have heard of platforms called Plum Alley. There are a number of them out, out there that allow individual users to invest in companies in exchange for equity. So these are very small amounts of money. So, and and, and sometimes they're not even, um, you're not even required to be an accredited investor. And then grants. So you were talking, Lisa, about grants. A grant is what a company, investor, or government agency. Provides capital to a startup to a company without taking an equity a stake in the company, so can you guys talk a little bit? Maybe Susanna start about talking about uh, Alley and what types of what types of funding that you do. At? Yeah,
1: yeah. So AliCorp has two parts. One is an incubation side. One's an investing side. So we spend fifty percent of our time actually building companies in house, uh, and those are ideas that someone on the team has and really runs to ground and gains conviction on. Or a case where a founder in our network approached us and says, you know, I I really want to build this in partnership with you. Uh, And so for those, we're really involved, you know, from day zero, almost before there's a pitch deck, before there's a financial model, uh, when it's really like a talented operator um, with a, a really exciting product vision. Um, so that's 50% of our time. The other 50% uh, we look at anywhere from seed to sometimes series B. Um, so we'll make really between, kind of 500K is the low end of what we'll do. Um, and we'll go up to you know, 10 million. Um, but we really like to be the first check-in uh, on seed rounds. Um, and so we end up partnering with founders from very, very early on. Uh, and we're totally industry agnostic. Uh, so we've in invested in everything from space flight to baby formula uh, to logistics platforms to beauty. So uh, so we really just are open to, to all kinds of founders who would like to build with us. I focus, my background is more on the consumer side, so I really look around for deals kind of in that area as opposed to, for example, you know, enterprise software, which I have less experience with. Uh, and that's sort of how it tends to break down at my fund, we all have sort of specific focus areas.
0: And Lisa, tell us about the types of funding that you offer.
2: So at SV2, the grant making and impact investing are two different arms. Although we have had one case where we had a nonprofit that that was a grantee that later did a for-profit initiative, it was a development impact bond that we decided to invest in on the impact investing side. So we also play across the. If you've heard of the capital stack, we're not constrained only to equity, but we also can do debt. We can do grants. Um, we can. We have a lot of flexibility about how we look at capital structures that we might invest in. So on the impact investing side, um, our check size is typically $50,000. And um, we're typically in a seed round where the next round would be the Series A. That's almost always where we are. Uh, We're starting to look at whether there are things we might think about around friends and family because so many entrepreneurs don't have friends and family (laughs) who can give them that capital. And so from a social standpoint, thinking about how do you get more diversity in entrepreneurs. um, Part of that is that there there needs to be more capital out there that's willing to to, um, fund diverse entrepreneurs earlier on.
0: And that brings us to the next question about what I call the funding conundrum. So if you two can help us solve this problem, as venture capitalists, your main priority is to make money for your investors, correct? at least I that's, not, one, not one not entirely, that's not entirely that's 100. not 100 for us yeah. okay not 100% for sv2 <laughs> but for the for the Susanna and for typically for t- venture funds it's you want to try to make money off of your investment yes. and my next point is that research shows that women-led teams generate higher returns on investment mm-hmm. okay so logic would say that venture capitalists should be investing in women-led teams mm-hmm. however The numbers show the opposite. So only 3% of venture capital funding went to women-led companies in 2019. Now that's up from a few years back where it was 2.2. But just 3% is still a very, very small chunk of the venture capital pie. How do you explain this conundrum, this funding gap?
2: From my perspective, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So it's illogical. And I think in uh, the financial world, there's a possibility this will ultimately work itself out. Um, however, if you look at when when I said that at SV2, we don't. I don't mean that we don't try to make money. We do try to make money. Um, We don't always, we don't only look at that. We're just looking for other things as well. And if impact is strong enough, we might decide that we're willing to take a little bit of a hit on potential return. because None of this is guaranteed. When you're investing in seed stage, it is high risk. And so you're constantly assessing the risk of the investment you're making, the kind of return that you think might be possible, and, and in our case, what kind of impact there is. Now, on... For us, um, we don't have gender as criteria, but um, about 80% of our portfolio is woman-led. And that's without t- having it as criteria. So if we, you know, once we put in a process that we felt was fair for across genders, then we didn't make it a, a, a criteria. We simply have found the best opportunities and they are led by women. So. Um, it it makes no sense to me
1: (laughs) as I think about it um, you know as I look at the partners uh, the senior partners at venture funds um, I think there is there is an a a grain of sense to it even though like it's not right um, that when you're investing in something you're taking a bet and you're taking a risk and in many cases uh, it's easier to take a risk on a known quantity, right? So if you're an older, um, you know, white male at a, at a you know very seasoned VC fund and you see someone who reminds you of yourself, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, I think there's a good chance that it's much easier to just cast the bet on that uh, as opposed to really making the effort to, to look elsewhere. Um, that said, I think we're really seeing a change in that um, – the, the the kinds of companies there's there's a lot of repetition it's a really crowded landscape uh, especially um, you know in, in hubs like New York and Silicon Valley and so it's becoming more and more a mandate um, for for making money as much as it is for impact to look elsewhere uh, for people who have revolutionary ideas um, whether it's women founders whether it's people of color whether it's people living outside of these major hubs um, and so I see it becoming far more um, you know, I, I think we sometimes separate like impact and making money, but it's it's becoming if, if people want to make money, they're going to have to seek out um, diversity of thought.
0: Well, it's kind of a chicken and egg dilemma because you have um, you know only eleven percent of venture capitalists are women, so it's mostly white men. And you talked about you know pattern matching, which is men, white men t- tend to invest in other white men. Um, and most startup founders are men. So how do you how do you break the cycle? How do you get more women entrepreneurs going so that they can then go into the venture? I mean, it seems like there's a pattern of like women or entrepreneurs becoming venture capitalists. Is that correct? It's S- one
1: it's one major major pipeline. Yeah. Pipeline,
0: yeah. So how do you crack that chicken and egg dilemma where there's so yeah. few women entrepreneurs who would then become venture capitalists? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's a really difficult problem. I think one important thing is that for women who do enter the field, that they don't operate in the same way as white men who enter the field. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they if they enter the field and make decisions the same way, then it doesn't matter that it's a woman who's the venture capitalist, if they enter the field and have an impact in terms of expanding uh, who is viewed as investable. And so I think there's a responsibility to do that. And, and it's not a fair responsibility that shouldn't fall on the shoulders of just the people who have somehow managed to crack it, um, but in many ways it does. Uh, and then there's also trying to change the mindsets of the people who are already in the field, which is a little more difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. And Susanna, you're in New York City, so you're in that part of the tech hub, uh, Silicon Alley they call it. <laughs> and I was reading recently that um, Series A financings to women-led companies are actually a lot higher in New York than Silicon Valley. Mm. So can you explain, you know, we're here in Silicon Valley and everything is very enterprise focused. Like what's, what's the difference between what's going on here in Silicon Valley and then Silicon Alley
1: back East? So I, I will start by saying that I love California. I love, uh, I love San Francisco, but one thing I do, uh, really like about investing in New York is that The diversity of thought and the diversity of categories that are investable, um, I think, is a lot broader. Um, So if you look at uh, Alley Corp's portfolio, for example, you know, we've made a big bet on healthcare in New York, uh, and that is because of the, you know, consolidation of hospitals and researchers and academics and universities. Um, We've made a big bet on fashion. Guilt was a big bet there. A big bet on journalism and media. Um, And... You know, a big bet on data actually with MongoDB, and so all of those categories are totally unlike each other, um, but they're all sort of sitting in the same uh, really tight area, um, and so that's what makes it really exciting for me. Um, you know, I come from a bit of a non-traditional background; I was a liberal arts major, uh, and so I didn't I didn't necessarily see myself going down this track, and so I'm always looking out for you know industries, people who maybe are. Uh, outside the standard enterprise or the standard consumer investing buckets, uh, and New York, because it's such a culturally diverse hub, I think has a lot of that, and it's just a very, also very tight area.
0: A survey by KPMG last year showed that New York is set to outpace Silicon Valley as a top tech innovation hub in four years. Mm-hmm. So it's growing wildly, and I think it's because of that cultural diversity and diversity of industry.
1: Yeah, I think one thing we say uh, is that, you know, obviously the Silicon Valley has had immense success and that's definitely not going to stop. Um, but it's just a much more mature environment. You know, it's on its seventh or eighth inning and New York, I think, is really on its second or third, just getting its wheels under it. Uh, and really, there's been a lot of momentum in the past, you know, certainly in the past five years, but really in the last three. Um, so I think we really expect that to, to snowball even further.
0: I would love for you to speak a little bit about the companies that pitch to you. And obviously they're not all women-led companies, but would you see any difference in the ways that women and men pitch their startups to you?
2: So in the world of social ventures, um, I would say that men tend to pitch much more uh, as though we were traditional venture capitalists. So they're very, very focused on financial return and our first screen is impact. And so if, if something clearly doesn't have social impact, then we're no longer interested. it doesn't matter how great it is as an investment. we do hear hear some of those where we go, this is almost really highly likely this is gonna work and it's gonna be successful, but it just doesn't do what we want. With women, they seem to get that more often. (laughs) And so we just see um, better combinations of uh, both looking for financial return and looking at how the business is going to impact the world.
1: Um, I think that's spot on. And I also, I, I think that the best investing conversations are less a pitch and more, uh, a conversation around a shared vision. Um, and I think in the latter case that leads to a much more productive partnership because you're actually understanding really the intricacies of how you're going to build together. Um, and you know, I, I think I don't know that it necessarily breaks down uh, by gender lines, but I've found that experienced entrepreneurs are much more likely to have that sort of nuanced conversation, whereas someone pitching for the first time uh, may be a bit more on the sort of formal end. Um, And I think, you know, these conversations really take a lot of training. And if there's not someone there, you know, saying that, uh, you know, telling you how to do it, then that, that can be a really difficult Um, buried entry and the other the other difference i see is really one of confidence um so i think many of the men who pitch you know someone's someone's told them that they can do it you know they have a male superior who's backed them before in one way or another whether it's a coach or a boss or a mentor um who's really you know taken time out to to say that this is something you should pursue um whereas with women you know it's not universal and there are some who who don't fit into this uh Category, but I, I think it's there's a feeling, a, a larger feeling like, oh, I'm really taking a chance, or I'm really stepping outside of what's expected, um, and so I think the more that we can make entrepreneurship uh, part of you know everyday conversation among women um, and and other underrepresented c- uh, categories in venture, the more it seems more like an opportunity and less like a, a big risk.
0: Well, there was a study, I believe it was Harvard University, showed that there was actually bias in the questions that venture capitalists ask mm-hmm. startup founders when they're pitching. So for women founders, the VCs tend to ask questions about their risk prevention. So how are you going to thwart this from you know this bad outcome? And for men, it's more forward-looking. So have you encountered that in any of your pitches that you've seen that the venture capitalists are treating the women and men differently with the yeah. questions they ask? So
2: I, I'm actually, I'm very familiar with that study. And I introduced It to our group because I wanted to make sure that we were not doing (laughs) what the study found, and and many VCs do, and they put women in a defensive posture um, instead of in a whereas they tend to ask questions in a way that allows men to promote, be in a promotion posture. And so um, for women, the, the lesson was around taking those defensive type questions and learning how to turn your answers so that your answers could actually promote what you were doing and i highly recommend that any any interested entrepreneurs read that study because it is it's worth it's worthwhile and you'll get some Good information about it and how to handle answers. We had one case where a woman founder came in, and I literally saw her doing this. I, I, I could just tell it, someone would ask a kind of a negative-leaning question, and she would she would think for a second, and then it was like a light bulb would go off, and she would completely turn it around and make it something really positive. She did it really, really well, and uh, and then from our standpoint, though, we've tried to retrain ourselves to make sure that we're not doing that we're not differing how we're asking questions based on gender or other factors uh, when we hear from entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you give any feedback to the entrepreneurs who pitch if you decide you're not going to invest in them, do you give them any feedback on what to do next time or what they need to
2: do to improve
1: their business model?
2: If they ask for it, we will. If if they don't ask for it, no.
1: I think we,, um, you know, I think we less give feedback on the the style of the conversation or the pitch unless there's something sort of egregious. We might say like, you know, we're a little taken aback by X, y or Z. Um, but I think we we do give uh, constructive feedback on the business model or um, opportunities or and, and we're always we're always thinking about, okay, if we can't invest, who can? Um, and so we often say like, you know, when you have a conversation with this person who we're going to introduce you to, it'll be really important for you to tweak uh, your, your, um, your presentation in such a way that it really resonates with their investment model. Not, not tweak your business plan, but sort of tweak the conversation. Um, and so we'll give sort of pointed suggestions like that, but, but, uh, but yeah, not, not usually like feedback on style.
0: Um, Catherine Minshew, who's the CEO and founder of The Muse, and she talked about meeting with an investor and over drinks, and it was a bad situation, and he was hitting on her, and she you know, just realized this was not the kind of person that she wanted investing in her company. My question is about choosing an investor and then also, what the relationship is after they you as a VC make you make the investment. I mean, I think there's a tendency to think that you know your VC puts the money in and then that's the end. They they walk away, but it's not right. There's more of a the relationship between the venture capitalists and the founder. Can you explain what that relationship is?
1: So actually, half of my job is working with the companies we've already invested in. Uh, so that's what platform tends to mean in the venture world. Um, so I spend fifty percent of my time. Investing and working on incubations, and the other fifty percent partnering with the the companies we've already invested in on business strategy, uh, product roadmap, how to fundraise again. Uh, so the the mechanics between fundraises are very different, uh, and it's a, it's a different conversation between raising your seed and raising your A. So I'll sit down with you know we have about uh, forty investments that are active right now, uh, and I'll sit down with founders at each stage and say, okay, you're, you know, you're looking at raising your A, your, these are the metrics that are really going to matter that didn't matter in your seed. Uh, and your financial projections come into play a lot more. The team that you're building out really comes into play a lot more, uh, and the vision and your, your product strategy really need to be, uh, a lot more granular than at an earlier stage. And so the fundraising is a big bucket. Another one is, um, kind of broader business development. So, potentially advantageous connections that I see across the ecosystem oh hey this is an investor you should really meet oh wow I met with another company the other week that's uh, you know really synergistic to what you're thinking about um, and sometimes I'll sit on sit in on those conversations and sometimes not but I, I spend a lot of time thinking about as a VC uh, sort of how to advance the entrepreneurial ecosystem both really around the investments we've already made and more broadly and I think there's a increasingly large feeling in the venture community that actually that post-investment relationship is um, a really, really strong catalyst for growth and success.
2: Yeah, so at SV2, we're a little different. We assign two people to each investee um, for the ongoing relationship, and and we help in whatever ways they want. So um, we're not a lead investor as you would be, mm-hmm. Um, so we're typically a relatively small investor, um, and we're so and we're not a lead investor in the sense that we don't define deal terms or anything like that. So then we just try to be available. It's typically around um, connections that can help with building revenue, um, connections that might help with the next round of financing. Um, those I would say are the the two biggest areas that when our investees want assistance, that's what they're looking for us. So, um, and then we tap our networks for whatever um, can be helpful and so it varies quite a bit.
1: And I, I think the other great thing about uh, increasingly seeing entrepreneurs become investors is that they really empathize with the journey. Uh, and so, you know, I'll get I'll get emails from our founders uh, with different things like, you know, hey, I'm really thinking about uh, you know, hiring a head of people or a head of HR, and this is what my organization looks like, and the challenge is there. Can you help me with that? Um, or, hey, I had this really difficult conversation with someone on my team. Have you experienced this for, do you know someone who has? Um, or, you know, looking for a new head of engineering. So there's a lot on the talent side as well, um, but it's a lot easier to, to empathize with those conversations uh, and to really you know, put yourself in the shoes of a founder when you've sort of been at least somewhere on that journey uh, in the past.
2: You know, one thing I was gonna mention, um, Susanna mentioned the whole path from, well, both of you have mentioned the path from friends and family all the way through series D or beyond. And just that that is a really long path. And Mm -hmm. for us operating in the seed stage, we're incorporating, and this is something that we've learned over time, as we evaluate companies, we look much more, we think much more about what's going to happen after seed, who might be interested in investing in this, you know, is do we see a path for this company to be able to continue? And you can't always, you can't foresee that totally, but it's something that we think about very early on.
0: Back to that 3% number, I just can't get over that 3% of venture capital dollars go to women-led startups. It's so disturbing. Yeah. But I was talking to a venture capitalist yesterday and she said, well, we don't invest in any women led companies because we do enterprise investments. And I thought, well maybe is that there is that one of the big reasons why so few venture capital dollars are going to women led companies because women are more focused on starting consumer business to consumer companies versus B2B companies. Just thought that was curious that there was not one investment not one enterprise company that was that she had invested in with a woman leader.
2: You know, I said we have 80% women founders. Um, I'm trying to think, I, I, we don't do consumer for the most part. I mean, it, it's not that we're anti-consumer, we could, but ours are not consumer. Now we don't focus only in Silicon Valley. We're not geographically constrained and we're also industry agnostic. We're looking for what kind of impact we want. Um, so that may make a difference. I, I would say, like, yes,
1: as I think about the, you know, CEOs of big enterprise tech that I know of, no women come to mind. Um, but that said, I think, uh, you know, in the, in the more sort of nascent landscape, I think there are probably, um, there's, there's probably more happening on the, on the enterprise side in terms of women. But I think in terms of the deals I see, at least in New York, where there is less enterprise actually to begin with, um, I do see fewer women uh, starting, starting uh, enterprise companies, and I think that out that also kind of connects to the fact that there also um, up until a few years ago there were just far fewer uh, women in technical majors. Who you know, I think if you're if you're going to found um, you know any kind of software, any kind of you know anything like that that really easily sells in enterprise. Until fairly recently, it was thought that you had to have a degree like that. Um, and so I see that as a pretty, a pretty big reason. Um, but I think people are also becoming increasingly creative about the, the kinds of businesses that can sell into enterprise. Um, so for example, Alley Corp invested in a, a mental health startup actually, um, called spring health, which you would, um, imagine is, is, you know, really a consumer product, like you're working with a person, but people are really finding creative ways to sell into employers. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens there.
2: You know, I think another factor may be that the, and I don't know if this is different in Silicon Alley as opposed to Silicon Valley, um, but in Silicon Valley, the emphasis is so much on um, finding those unicorns and And basically losing money on just about everything else that's in the portfolio. (laughs) I mean, that's the way a lot of VCs operate. They're really looking for, they're going to get those huge hits, and then everything else is just going to kind of die. And there are a lot of really potentially very good businesses that are not necessarily going to be over, you know, reach tens of billions of dollars in, in market value. And so um, I think that there are now more, and, and this has been very slow, but I think there are now some uh, VCs that are starting to look at other um, models for how they share in the upside of a company so that they can fund a broader array of business outcomes. So say you're looking at a business that could be you know, $300 million in revenue, um, many Silicon Valley VCs would have zero interest in that, that just would not be big enough. Uh, Whereas there are more firms that are now starting to say, well, maybe there are some, and maybe we should look at revenue shares or other ways of doing funding for a broader array. And I think that's also going to increase the diversity of, of founders. But it's slow. It's a good
1: point.
0: Yeah. It's a slow process, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, Susanna, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience and your insights and advice. Thank you for joining the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast content. To learn more about us, go to nasdaqcenter.lehigh.edu or follow us on Instagram at lehighnasdaqcenter. Thank you.